Hey, I'm Jess O'Callaghan, and this is the Audiocraft podcast. The session you're about to hear is called Bodies of Sound with Jonathan Zenti. Jonathan is head of content at Voxnest and host and producer of the podcast Meat. Meat is about our bodies and the lives we live because of them. It was a finalist in Radiotopia's PodQuest in 2016, and it won an award at Third Coast Festival in Chicago last year. He's also a masterful storyteller, and he's going to talk you through the creative process behind Meat. It's a project full of audio experimentation and buoyed by international collaboration. Hello. Thanks for the pressure. Okay, so sorry for for this, for my voice. I I just developed this little nose problem and ear problem, my right ear, and throat problem. That's good, right, to do a presentation today. Um, So every time I take a flight, basically, my ear don't pop and it starts to breathe through my nose and I feel a kind of of a needle um, pushing inside my throat. Um, so yeah, sometimes I have to do like this maneuver that I came up with. Uh, so a couple of months ago, I've been to this very famous, um, luminary, uh, a doctor, not a podcast company, um, a nose and a throat luminary. My mother knows him and I told her about my breathing and hear and throat issues and she brought me to him for a visit. And I'm in the waiting room, staring at all this picture of celebrities he had put his hands on. One with Alessandro Del Piero, the famous soccer player. Another one with Andrea Bocelli, the famous blind, rich, mediocre opera singer. (laughs) (coughs) And he's the doctor. So he says that my nose bone is crooked. That I have to do an MRI immediately, but... He can already say that the problem is that my nose is all bent on one side and just growing up, getting older, um, it's closing my right nostril at the top. This is me spelling my name at the time in Italy. But this is not all. I did the scan and something else popped up. There's an osteoma, not even a small one, laying on my left sinus. It has the shape of a skittle, uh, with a length of 9 millimeters on the longest side. An osteoma is a benign tumor that grows on a bone and that has a bony texture. Why do they call it a tumor if it's benign anyway? Could they then call it like chocolate chip? Like <laughs> The news would be easy to swallow, like, you have a chocolate chip here. Oh, thank you. Anyway, this skittle seems to bump into my carotid. That's probably why I, I keep getting sick lately. It's my body asking me to fix it. I'm saying seems and probably because when the luminary doctor saw the MRI results, he came up with a long line of excuses not to do the surgery himself. That I'm too fat and anesthesia won't work on me. That I need to lose 40 kilos before 
that my mouth is too tight, it would be very hard for him to pass through. Tender dog. He thought it would have been a, like an easy nose job. So I sent him to L, and as soon as I fly back home from here, I have to check it out with other doctors. It's amazing how many beautiful women live in New York. I actually find it kind of intimidating. Well, you're as pretty as any of them. Just need a nose job. <laughs> In the meanwhile, I'm trying to make some space for this little skittle inside my body. In my head, at least. I'm getting used to the fact that it's probably going to change my voice a little bit for good. But the most important thing about all this voice here, um, throat drama, it's that I'm recording everything. So today I'm going to tell you the curious story of my tiny little independent podcast meet. But before that, I just wanted to share with you the latest news about my own body. And then during the question time, you are very welcome to share the latest news about your body. Because we never talk about it, like it's a kind of something wrong living with this cage of flesh. Thank you for being here. Anyway, I'm Jonathan Zenti and this is Meet. like my tongue because I can't stick it out. I am tongue-tied and that means I'm not very good at licking ice creams or kissing people and now that I think about it maybe I shouldn't have gone into radio. So thanks to you, uh, thanks Mike Williams, uh, thanks Audiocraft and Voxness, the company I'm working for right now, uh, for having made this presentation possible. Um, it's my first time here in Australia, and Sydney is so cool, isn't it? I, it's like I'm like music players, I say the same sentence in every city I go. <laughs> and I just change the name of the city and it always works. So, in 2015, uh, I had some conversation with people where, who were into kinky sex and couple swinging, and I wanted to do something about it, uh, probably a, like a long feature for Italian public radio, and the idea was to do something about body property, and I, I always start like this, with a, like a very pretentious shit. Um, <laughs> something that is like too big and too wide to explain in one hour feature. Um, and I want to do something like, I'm going to start from latex pants and I'm going to end to abortion ban laws. So, like, um, in September that year, uh, like, a few months after I did this, like, first 
um, interviews about that. Um, there was a meeting of independent radio producers in Europe, so something like Audiocraft, but really, really smaller. And for the first time, a group of very talented radio producers met together and started sharing ideas and concerns and challenges. And I just, I, I, we were drinking a lot during that meeting, and I just throw this idea on the table and that I wanted to do something about body property. And also that, like, being in that environment, I, I felt that doing something uh, European in English uh, would have been interesting and something I wanted to do. In March next year, in 2016, uh, my favorite podcast network, uh, Radiotopia, launched a call for a new show, and they were doing it through a competition. It was called PodQuest, and they were searching for a new podcast idea for unrepresented voices in podcasting. So as you, some of you probably know, being a radio producer, a radio producer staying hours under the flashing colors of Pro Tools tracks, leaving behind closed doors, uh, breathing the same closed air um, without opening the windows, with headphones and loudspeakers pumping, uh, repeating waves at your ears, especially when you do the EQ and you repeat like the same bite over and over and over. So it's something that it makes easy for everyone to disconnect from reality. Uh, and so when I saw the call, uh, when I was just procrastinating um, on, on internet, I thought that, yeah, it's a good idea to write down that body idea as a podcast and send it over. Um, I thought that when it comes to the body, there are a lot of unrepresented voices, voices with a story to tell. Uh, but um, I don't know if I can really call myself an unrepresented voice being a white man in 21st century. Shamefully, though, I felt a bit entitled to consider myself unrepresented, at least in the United States. Uh, because I come from the suburbs, uh, from a working class family, and in the slowest growing country in Europe. Um, so I, I knew that I, um, I would have been considered, for example, an immigrant and start the immigration wheel of torture if I wanted to move and work there. Uh, so I thought, yeah, um, maybe I can write something down even if I'm a white male in 21st century. And I wrote this podcast idea called Meet, uh, a podcast about our bodies and the life we live because of them. Um, I reviewed the form uh, with um, some of my best radio friends, uh, Katarina Smets from Belgium and Eleanor McDowell. Um, they were like, the, the two give me the best feedbacks. And I filled up the form and I sent it over and I asked also to submit an audio file that could give the jury a sense of what the show would sound like. Uh, and so that's the two minutes that I sent. So that's how I became fat. My parents made me play in tons of sports since I was five. Ballet, swimming, soccer, track and field, basketball. But when I turned 17, at the end of the 90s, punk rock happened. I started hanging out with the coolest boys and girls in town, riding smashed cars with tanned elbows outside the windows. I turned my sport activity hours into downloading albums from Kazaa, practicing guitar, translating lyrics and going to gigs. Beer after beer, I started being up late at night, starving all the time. 
eating big sandwiches and bowls of pasta at 3, 4 in the morning and going to sleep immediately after. I was anxious all the time because all those things happening around me and I found out that being sated could slow down my breath. When I turned 20, I reached my great goal, 100 kilos, 220 pounds, and I felt like finally I was myself. But at the beginning of the new millennium, things started changing. The coolest boys and girls in town started wearing slim fit t-shirts, shortening their trousers, riding bikes and hiking. I tried to follow them, losing 10 kilos during my first year of university but I wasn't comfortable with myself anymore. Hello. I felt like I was following a path I didn't belong to. It's ready. So I just went on being myself. I went on eating. 284.05 pound. So a couple of minutes after the deadline, Radiotopia announced that they had received 1,537 submissions. I just laughed. And I put the idea of the podcast in English about the bodies in the backyard of my brain. Then, on May 12, 2016, I received an email from Radiotopia's executive producer, Julie Shapiro, saying, Hello, Jonathan. It's a huge honor and my pleasure to tell you, in confidence, that you are one of the 10 PodQuest semifinalists selected from a whooping 1,537 entries. Congratulations. As you might imagine, it was a hugely competitive process and you are an exceptional company. Yeah, right, in confidence. <laughs> I told everyone. <laughs> asking them not to tell anyone. Because it's in confidence. Yes. That night I couldn't sleep. At 2 in the morning I woke up and I started drawing 1,537 blue dots on a paper sheet. Coloring just 10 of them in orange. If you want to go... This is marketing, look at it. If you want to go on my Instagram page, I just uploaded the picture of the sheet this morning, so you can look at it. I needed a visual representation of what just happened, so seeing like this um, squared paper sheet of blue dots with just like these 10 orange dots in it like gave me an idea of what a crazy uh, thing just happened. The next step was to do an interview with really, really scary people like Roman Mars. Uh, Julie Shapiro, other people from PRX, where I was supposed to present my plan for an entire year of programming. The story, the business plan, the promotion strategy. Uh, two Radiotopia's mentors uh, were assigned to me to follow me along this process. One was Debian Nelson from the Kitchen Sister, and I thought, for me, it's okay. Um, for all I care, I won, and this is my reward. Um, then another mentor was Lawrence Forer from Criminal, and she was so supportive and kind and she really helped me out to that process and a month later I did the interview and during the interview it was one hour interview uh, with these very very scary people a pipe in my apartment blown up uh, floating the apartment below where there were two nuts junkies living there and they started beating at my door and screaming while I was pretending I was entitled to move to the next step of the competition Long story short, the interview went well, surprisingly, and I became one of the four finalists. I had a budget to make three pilots episodes and 
try to create the one show that was going to join the network at the end of the competition. I wanted the show to be a European podcast in English. Um, I found the first stories I wanted to work, uh, the first story I wanted to work on in Barcelona, Spain. One of my best friends lives there and she's a photographer and I asked her if she knew someone that could fit the idea of the podcast. She introduced me to Maria Eugenia, uh, a nurse by day and actress by night, who had an heart attack and the doctor told her to quit a, a, at least her theater job. She tried for a couple of years, but she couldn't help herself, so she decided to put her life on the line and risk an heart attack, but uh, keep on with her great passion. My photographer friend, though, being someone who works with silent pictures, completely underestimated my need of stories told in English. Uh, so I, once I was on the couch holding my microphone ready for the interview, I realized that Maria Eugenia didn't speak any word of English. Uh, so I tried to ask to one of her friends to say the story along with her, and I tried to interview, but uh, it sucked. Like, it's, it was really, really bad. And I did, like, my first draft for the first um, pilot episode, and I sent it over. Me llamo María Eugenia Casanova, eh, soy de Barcelona y me dedico al mundo del teatro y también trabajo en un hospital en el turno de noche. Mi nombre es Marco, soy 38 años, soy italiano, pero no vivo en Barcelona. Así que le envié a Julie Shapiro, que es el director creativo de todos los shows en la competición en ese momento, y me dijo que me encanta. Ella usó otras palabras, por supuesto, pero ese fue el mensaje. So I decided to, like, I didn't know what to do, and I decided to floor myself and to work on something that didn't matter at all. Uh, so I wrote it, I wrote and recorded the title track, and I asked to one of my best friends in Italy, Valentina, to sing it and record it with me. And so now I'm playing it in its entirety, and on the chairs you should find, like, some paper sheet with lyrics inside a flyer. That's marketing again. So now, if you want, we can play it karaoke style, and you can sing it along. That's one of my dreams. If you want to do it, fulfill this dream of mine. Um, I'm just going to play it. Don't be shy.
Okay, thank you. It was embarrassing, but... Um, so after three months of rough versions, webinars, trainings, I finally sent my three pilots over and I didn't win. And the winner was that amazing podcast that is Ear Hustle. Go listen to it if you haven't done it yet. And not winning that competition was the best thing that could have happened at that point in my life. Um, now, I just turn in the music back because I know that you, want, that you are sorry that you missed the chance to sing it. So you, you, can have, you have a second chance to do it. Now there's a chorus again. You can do some human nature's baking vocals. It's your chance to do it. Coming. Thank you. Just calling for a human nature's baking vocals worth the trip to Australia. <laughs> say that. So, uh, not winning the competition was the best thing that happened to me at that point because I burned out and I didn't notice that. Uh, because it's only when it gets out of the wheel that the hamster realizes that it's gone nowhere, right? So I needed time to understand what happened because just a few months before I was listening to all, the, all those Americans, uh, American creators like they were living on another planet far away and I was sitting at the dinner uh, at the dinner table with them now, and I didn't understand what happened in between. I realized, for example, that among the four finalists, I was the only one from outside the Bay Area. And I mean really far outside the Bay Area. <laughs> I, how could I pretend to belong to that world? I've, I've, I start seeing myself like a seal in a fish tank. The last day of that year, I got my laptop pinched from my bag in the street. And I was so burned out that I even forgot to make a backup of the last month of production, losing a lot of material the first draft episodes. Um, the following spring, Mitra Kaboli, producer from The Heart, uh, wo who was in the Radiotopia jury, asked me if they could play the first episode of Meet uh, in their podcast. And of course I said yes. And I had, uh, I had the chance to work with Caitlin Prest, um, who wanted to make some changes and working with her, listening to her vision on it, made me reconnect with the podcast and I slightly started to like it back. I had some chats with people I like in podcasting. Uh, I wanted to ask them what I should do with that thing uh, now. And one of the best feedback ad uh, advices that I, I got at the time was from Tim Hinman of Third Year, uh, a Danish pod podcast company, and he told me, you're never going to make money with that thing. Uh, so forget about the money, forget about the industry, the ads, and all this other stuff. Do what you like, have fun, express yourself, and eventually money might come from other streams. And I felt that that was the advice, the advice that I was expecting for. So I launched the podcast feed in February 2018 when I was a guest at a tiny, tiny festival in Switzerland called Sonor. 
in that period of time from not winning the competition and launching the Earth's speed, uh, there was something I couldn't see before um, that now became clear to me. Uh, one thing is that I didn't want to please the audience. Uh, uh, if I wanted to please an audience, I would have been a masseur. Um, <laughs> I felt that I wanted to challenge the audience, to upset it, to have them feeling some disturbing feelings, uh, the same disturbing feelings that you have when you are in a doctor's waiting room. The second thing was that uh, if I want to have fun with it, I need to collaborate as much as possible with the radio makers I like around the world because I was having fun with that. Having embraced the fact that I that I don't belong to that world. It doesn't mean that I, that I couldn't work with that world and learn from the, tal the talented producers I admire. And they, all, they have all been kind to me so far um, because it's radio, not TV. Uh, so there are just nice people in radio. Um, the third thing is that I want me to be my experimentation playground, uh, to use it as a space to challenge my audio limits. Uh, do better recordings because I'm not very good at it, experiment with more with sounds, write something that i never written before. Um, so that's like the story of the beginning of it, and now I'm going to play uh, some bites from it. Uh, so every podcast has an intro. Uh, usually it's helpful just because you have your RSS feed approved by Apple, so you just upload like a random thing. But for me, it was also the chance to set some rules from the beginning with the audience. Uh, I'm going to play the exact kick of the, of the podcast, so the first thing that you listen to if you play it from the beginning. Um, there are two very special guests, Eleanor McDowell from Falling Tree. Sorry, I'm messing up. And uh, Ellen Saltzman. And if I'm not wrong, I, I saw Ellen before here stepping in. It, maybe it's the last recording that Ellen and Marty did in their apartment in London before leaving. Um, anyway, this is like the intro. Hi, this is my new podcast. It's called Meet. And in the next few weeks, we... Meet as in meeting people? Who are you meeting? N no, uh, it's meat like animal meat. Like chicken meat? Yeah. So should I start it again? Can you hear my accent? The point is, when I say meet, do you think that people will understand meet like meeting people? So uh, you're saying, is meet pronounced like meat? Yeah, meet's pronounced like meat. Which meat do you mean? Do you mean M-E-E-T or M-E-A-T? M-E-A-T. Can you tell I'm not a native English speaker? Oh, uh, so... How... Meat. Practice that. Meat. 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 Okay. Uh, you've meat. got Okay. When you hear me talk... Can you tell where I'm from, which country, which region? Please tell me just one time the right way to say it. Meet. Meat. Because I can't. My English sounds perfect inside my head. Uh, um, I, I, I looked inside this when I talk to people, when I have to make a speech somewhere abroad, in my head my English always sounds like... Dr. Guy's ambition was to rid the world of cancer. He was convinced that the secret of how to do this lay inside the human cell. But then I record myself and I listen back to the recordings and every time I feel depressed. Because in reality, I sound like this. Ah, scusi!
So after that, there's episode one, the famous one, for which I won a third cost award last year. Now I wrote applause here. And uh, good. thank you. <laughs> Otherwise, I get lost in the script, sorry. Um, there, are, there are many cuts of it that are relevant to me, even if I'm a little bit sick of it. But I'm going to play one that gives the idea of that challenging the audience thing that I mentioned before. It's where I try... So the first episode is about um, how people react to my weight and my shape. Uh, and this is the first part. And the second part is me documenting six months of diet and the impact that it has on my um, brain, I would say. Uh, so th there's a part where I uh, try to move... I'm, I'm talking about obesity and I'm trying to move the spotlight from the health... Um, thing to the social formal thing. But what's this really all about? Why hold the hate, the mockery, the mean jokes? When someone makes a comment about my body, particularly when it's good advice, I have this feeling that there's always the same warning hidden beneath the words. That what they really want to do is shout, No one is going to fuck you! Do you think all those gym junkies on treadmills and stationary bikes are really neat for their arteries? Being in a good shape has nothing to do with health. It's about getting laid. And getting laid is about finding someone to get laid with. And finding someone to get laid with is about falling in love once in a while. And falling in love is about sharing your life with someone else. And sharing your life with someone else is about having a family, maybe. And having a family is about being surrounded by kids and relatives and a community. And all of this is about not dying alone. That's why we hate fat people. They remind us of the lonely possibility. And that's why we push them to the margins of our social life. We laugh at them. How does this woman take a shit? Can she even locate her asshole? We give them good advice on their bodies when their bodies are nobody's business but their own. Oh, there goes the pool. <laughs> we don't want to be reminded that if we are unlucky or perhaps unlovable enough, we just might die alone. So episode two, it's made... Thank you. Um, episode two, uh, again, I wanted a little bit to challenge the, challenge the audience and make an episode about uh, a white uh, man with dreadlocks, uh, so walking on the edge of cultural appropriation, but then try to drive the audience into the discovery of a personal story about mental confinement. Uh, the episode is co-produced with my... Mm, beloved friend and radio artist Katarina Smets uh, from Belgium. Katarina brought me to her uncle, uh, Jean, um, uh, to interview him because when he turned 17, he decided to have dreadlocks. While I'm setting up my equipment for the interview, they start talking about something about the family history that they have never shared before, and I just witnessed to this confession. Um, here is when this wall of untold past uh, starts uh, starts cracking and something I tried to do with writing uh, that I never did before was to use a flash forward uh, that it's something that I don't hear so often in audio storytelling 
So there's a present tense description, and then there's a window on a conversation that I had with Katarina the following night. I try to catch Katarina's eyes, but she's looking into her uncle's paintings, as if she's trying to find something hidden behind the brush marks, something she doesn't know, something she's eager to find. Time is running, and I didn't have the chance to make any question yet. I followed them through their tour of the house while they'll discuss the music influence behind Jean's painting, waiting for my turn to finally ask something. Reggae music has a very big influence on me. Well, I feel it, the music like it goes straight to my heart. For me, I listen to reggae and all my sharp and negative feelings are gone away. I have more respect for other people. I found more love in myself. And also, it, it cheers me up. Uh, it's a good medicine when I listen to reggae. And that's all from before you were born. <laughs> a long time. It's in the mid-70s it started. Before it was uh, Jimi Hendrix and the Stones and the Beatles and the Who and psychedelic music and Pink Floyd. But after a while, I came in a very bad dark period of my life, feel very bad. I see Katarina's eyes blinking, as if an arrow of curiosity hit the back of her head. I get the feeling that she's hearing something new to her. Later on that night, while we will be drinking the last shot before going to bed, she will tell me she knew almost nothing about what she has been learning that day. I never heard the whole story about Uncle Jean. I remember my father telling me that when he was 18 or 19 years old, he got a phone call that his older brother was in an asylum in the Netherlands, that he had to go and visit him there alone. It's not that it was a taboo, but we never really talked about it. So. But what happened in the dark period? What, was there any particular... Thing that happened yeah, I, 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 I lost my way. It, it, I was, I, I lost my way. It... So episode three is the last one I released a month ago, and it's very easy to keep up with the podcast because I release an episode a year. So, <laughs> it's even trickier than the other two because it's about female genital mutilation and a lot of other stuff that I tried to combine with that topic, and it was like a crazy thing to do. I'm playing a a bite uh, from that episode that has been written together um, uh, with an editor because uh, one of the best things of working on Meet is that every time I ask to someone to be the editor of my piece and and so to drive me to what I can see by myself. Uh, For this episode that was really complicated, I worked with Bethel Apte, who is working at uh, Radiolab, and she did a really great job on uh, driving me through all the shit I was stepping with this episode. Um, and I wrote this piece with her, uh, so four ends, and it's me in the airplane trying to study some documents about female genital mutilation without being busted by the people sitting next to me. On the flight to Kenya, I read everything about female genital mutilation. I use my legs as a file cabinet and I take out one report after another from my binder. 
I flipped through all the graphic drawings and pictures of the different types of genital cuts and read about all the awful side effects on young girls. I moved the binder slightly to the left, so my seatmate to the right doesn't notice what I'm reading. And then I move it back to the right, so I'm not busted by the guy on my left. And when the food comes, some white-hot, tasteless, curry thing, I make Spider-Man level efforts to keep my tray on my lap and all those papers with genital cuts between my legs. Page after page talks about how it's a wrong, harmful practice. It's officially a violation of human rights. It's when someone alters or injures female genitalia for no medical reasons. So here it was like a way to make the um, throwing data to the audience a little bit more interesting and engaging. Uh, now I'm playing another cut from the third episode uh, that I'm very proud of because I'm a nerd. So here I'm telling the story of how I met sex in my life when I was 14. And I'm trying to describe the moment when all my fantasies about love and intimacy um, crashed against the reality of Uh, being a teenager in suburban in the 90s. As a sound frame for that moment, I used the recording of the shuttle Columbia exploding, uh, replacing the Cape Canaveral uh, chat with the, with the shuttle with a kind of self-ground control trying to talk with myself growing up. And my therapist would be very proud for me to, for what I just said. Uh, <coughs> One day, she tells me that we are going to fuck. I reply that I don't have a condom. She says she doesn't care. I don't want to. I've always pictured my first time with someone I like, surrounded by love in any form, two bodies wrapped in a sheet of emotions. I'm holding tight to that picture. I'm not ready to let it go. She says, I've done it before. Let me do it. I say, I don't want to. She does it anyway, and I let her do it. Until that moment, my life has always been a bittersweet whirlwind of music, care bears, singing, little ponies, dancing, peach and cream Barbies, pirouettes wearing socks on the wooden floor. In that exact moment, though, my colorful spaceship exploded before getting into the adult sphere. You say we see your dream messages, but we didn't copy a last. The basement story ended very badly. I also uh, I also tried to do the Texan accent. It's so pathetic. <laughs> so now I'm playing some bites from the interviews that I'm working on for the future episodes. So the next one, it will be episode four, um, so next year. Um, it's the story of Marisa's scar. Uh, Marisa is a young researcher from Michigan State University uh, who worked at the pizza place to her studies. And one night uh, while she was working at that pizza place, pizza place, that thing happened. One of them closed and locked the door, which I knew then something was up because the door is very hard to lock and he knew what he was doing and he knew exactly how to do it. And then, um, the other one ran around the counter 
and he tripped over the mop bucket, which we left out. So at first we thought he was trying to get into the um, the pop cooler to grab a soda, but he fell. So we kind of laughed and we were about to ask him if he was okay. And then he pulled out a gun and told us to open the register. Another story is the story of Nisha's belly. Um, uh, one night, Nisha, uh, who lives in Manchester, uh, is at a restaurant and a waitress who knew her and she knew she just had two baby twins a few months ago, a few months before, congratulated her for being pregnant again, patting on her belly, but she wasn't pregnant. And she started crying at the restaurant table. Um, her husband has to drive her out. Uh, because a few months before, she had to change all her life plans because having given birth to two babies had a stronger impact on her body than she expected. So here's, for example, is her description of the breastfeeding and pumping cycle. I had a breast pump that was electric um, and a double one, so one for each breast, so you can double pump both boobs at the same time. I don't know how the machinery actually works, but essentially it produces a little vacuum but on a rhythm so it creates like a sucking action it's like but yeah basically like the sucking and releasing action um it mimics a baby to some extent the way that breastfeeding works in terms of the body is the more milk you remove from your body the more milk your body produces so essentially it's a it's like a little messaging system. It's a supply and demand thing. Baby takes this much, your body goes right, baby needs this much. So then if you remove more from your body, your body goes, "Oh, baby needs that much as well." Produces more. That's how I I used pumping to raise my supply. The last one, it's one of my favorite, is the story of Hector's heart. It's one of my favorite also because uh, Hector uh, wrote me after he listened to the first episode asking me if I wanted to do a story about him. Uh, Hector was born with the right side of the heart on the left side and vice versa. That means that his blood was running through his body without oxygen in it. Um, he was completely blue when he was born, not sad, like literally blue. He underwent a complicated surgery when he was three, and then he grew up under a kind of glass dome, uh, protected from everything by everyone. Don't do this, don't do that, until he got enough of it, and he decided to push his own limits his own way. Every year he has to attend a week-long test in Brussels. He is doing it right now. Um, where he come, uh, he's from Brussels, uh, and here abide from his annual report to his doctors. I, I eat with like, very low sugar. Mm -hmm. I don't. I try to avoid sugar mostly. Yeah. Um, at the at the end of last year, I had a, a small accident at work where a bit of oil. I work in a fry shop sometimes. Yeah. A bit of oil fell on a finger. Yeah. And a thing grew. <laughs> And yeah. they said it's called the granuloma pyoclinicum. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I went to the hospital yes. to yeah. get it removed. Yeah. And there I showed them the notes you had given me last time yeah. to get like prophylaxis. Uh, On the yeah. Yeah. And in February of this year, I did a small doses of MDMA. Not small doses of? MDMA. Ah oui, MDNA. Okay. It's, it's 
usually what's yeah. in ecstasy yeah, 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 yeah. and why people use ecstasy. But I didn't take ecstasy. Yeah. Because yeah. there's speed in that, and yeah. I'm like, yeah. dangerous. I, yeah. um, I did that, everything went well. Before doing it, I read up a lot on like how to do it safely, drinking a lot of water, etc. Everything went well. Was it intentional of? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Everything went well. Yeah. In your case, unless you in, see in something. Your, in your case, yeah. In all cases, yeah. but in your case especially, it's not a good idea Maybe. because because you yeah you have a increased yeah. risk to do tachycardia. Which compared to um, the heart the heart go, go beats too fast, too fast. Yeah, yeah. and it can be not well tolerated in your yeah, case yeah. Uh, because of your congenital heart disease okay. so you don't have to do that again <laughs> <laughs> I don't have yeah. to or I shouldn't yeah no yeah. no okay no. So don't you play would don't play with drugs okay. it can be yeah good to know <laughs> okay yeah. That's it, I think. Uh, And that's it for me as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Jonathan Zenti. Um, Before the session wraps up, we're actually going to have some time for questions. And yeah, I'll leave it to you to choose who you want to take questions from. Yeah, and pay attention to what you ask because it's recorded. Um, thank you for that. That was great. I am a little bit obsessed with the theme song for your podcast. Each time I've listened to the podcast, I, it gets stuck in my head for days. So that was great. Um, I've also just discovered those nose sprays and they're amazing. Like they're, it's magic. But I will get to a question. You alluded to this um, in your talk that making a European podcast in English. Um, can you be a bit more explicit about what you mean? So one thing... Uh, that we miss. In, so in, in Europe, in the last probably 10, 15 years, we had these like very uh, good wheel of encounters in different festivals that made us listen to what is happening on other countries. Because radio, differently than movies or music, d- doesn't have a storyography. So we don't know what happened in other countries. We don't know what happened in 1920s or 30s. And it's also why every 10 years there's someone say, oh, this is new, and it's not new, but just we don't know what happened before. Um, um, So it was like a good moment to know each other uh, at this festival. But then there was like this, we know what other people are doing, but we don't know the stories that are happening there. So I don't know what it's happening in Lithuania, for example, because I can't have access to the language. So the, the idea was to do something uh, that, that was for an audience that, that has a little bit my age, that used like cheap flights and had like university exchanges uh, among Europe that are um, thinking more about um, cities than countries. Um, but then far right came up again. So now it's, it's uh, no, I think that it's, it's still something exciting to do. Uh, and there are now more people that are trying to do that, that are trying to setting up podcast in English for a uh, European audience. Hi. Um, can you please talk a little bit about how you manage the vulnerability that you display in your podcast? I don't know if I do it, if I manage it. I don't know if I have control on that. 
I really think, for example, on the third episode, um, it was a story that I had in my in my hard drive for a long time, but there was something missing, and that part missing happened listening to all the reaction from my friends around me after the Me Too movement. That it's not a statement on the movement, but it's just like all this talking about it for the first time and people sharing everything for the first time made possible from people of, around me saying something like, you know, I think that I was assaulted 10 years ago in that bar. And so I think it's time for me to do something that it's like take out my own shit from my back and expose it. And I think that it's something that, mm, I, I don't know if I'm managing it, but I would like to, other people to do that and be like very open. That's, how, that's the messed up way I found out what to do stuff and I can change it now. What I really love about your podcast is the way you throw from your like your your inner place and you're recording yourself in natural conversation and you talk over yourself. Like can you talk a bit about your process? Like do you do you write that in? Do you just think about what you were thinking and ad lib it? Like how do you differentiate between the person like the the narrator and the person in the in the place, I guess? Um having multiple personalities uh, and I don't know if it's like uh, nobody said it's a disorder officially but I know that if I got checked um, <laughs> but it helps and it's something that I, I, I've always done in my Italian uh, radio making uh, the kind of feature that I do uh, that I started doing in 2007 in Italian to have like this relationship between what I expose to the others and what I think inside myself. And it's not true. I mean, it's not what I think. It's what the, the story and the characters, um, the character is doing, the, the host character. And when I had to do the Radiotopia uh, thing, my first idea was to have a very dry documentary style podcast and uh, <laughs> Julie Shapiro told me, your voice is the only good thing that there, there is inside this episode, so work on it. Uh, and so I had to work on a host character. Uh, and it became kind of, nat kind of natural to me to, to, like, to make like, this difference between what, what I show outside my skin and what is happening inside. And I, felt it, I found it very consistent with the, the idea of the podcast, so I'm, I'm still using it. I think you kind of answered my question, Jonathan. It was that, that, that emergence between the personal narrative and the, the story that you're telling. I find it very difficult to put myself in there. Now, you, you just mentioned you already worked in radio. Was your training to be very disciplined, very journalistic, or did you have any experience writing for yourself and you know, per, very, very personal stuff as well? Um, so one thing that I think it's very good about um, podcasting uh, and having met podcasting in like in, I did my first podcast in Italian in 2011. It's that all the um, different boxes that we had in radio making, they kind of merged. And, and so, um, for example, in 2014, when The Heart did Movies in Your Head, I think it, it was the official launch for saying there's no truth 
and fiction anymore. You can combine them. So sometimes, for example, in, in, the, in the story about uh, my, my weight, um, I tell something in first person like it, it happened to me, but it didn't really happen to me. Just someone else reported to me that it happened to them. And I thought that, but it was like uh, very effective to make someone understand the process that someone goes through. Uh, so it's not like writing about myself and it's writing for the audience to make for the listener to make to make it to make easy for him or her to understand a process through a first person narration. Hi, um, the opening scene where you're in dialogue, you're trying to there's the discussion around meat, M-E-A-T or M-E-E-T. Was that a, a setup, or was that actually part of the natural dialogue that you had in terms of the production? Because it's so effective in terms of the cutting off and then the external persons coming in. So if one day I have to take a revenge on Helen or Eleanor, <laughs> I will publish the entire one hour and 15 minutes of a conversation we had that night. Uh, no, it's like it was like I... I they were together in a room, and I was. Uh, they were in England. I was in Italy, and I just gave them the line. So this is me trying to um, understand the difference, how to pronounce meat, and we just imp improvised for one hour, and then I uh, found. I I, uh, I cut it out, and I found the way to cut it and the rhythm, like the there's like this tension when I wait for a second more when I say, just tell me one time how to, how to say it. And then there's like, meat, meat. <laughs> so it's like, it's a rhythm thing that I try. So I made different tries and the one that made me laugh the most entered the, the episode. Uh, thanks, Jonathan. Just in reference to what you said about the European podcast, which I think is really interesting because I think you're working at the intersection of European and American styles and Australia has its own style. Um, just, just uh, You said there was no history of radio to understand different traditions, but actually there is a... There, I just wanted to comment that there is um, a free journal called Radio Doc Review where producers critique each other's work and Eleanor McDowell facilitates that f through her fabulous radio atlas. A lot of people in this room have um, have contributed to it. So I just wanted to mention that I founded it about five years ago. But it's done as a labor of love by lots of people. And I think it's really fertilizing what people like you are doing, which is great to see. Just a comment. Thanks. Yeah, no, but you are totally right. And something that is very recent. And um, for example, uh, the, the last version of the doc review made by Laura Romero uh, from Spain, she did a great job to connect uh, pieces from different languages and it's still very tiny and um, and it's it's again a research process and uh, I'm very happy to see that now for example there's a, a podcast scene in Zurich uh, that it's uh, very interesting, they are doing great stuff in English um, with stories from around Europe and um, I'm very excited to see that People likes them. That was Jonathan Zenti, head of content at Foxnest. Thanks to Podcast One and Andrew Renfrew for recording this session. The Audiocraft podcast is produced and mixed by Ryan Pemberton, and the music is produced by James Milsom. 
If you haven't already, subscribe to the Audiocraft podcast. You'll get a new episode from 2019 every Wednesday, and there's a whole back catalogue of audio advice for you to explore. If you liked hearing about Jonathan's process for making meat, I'm sure you'll love Small Acts of Reinvention. It's an episode from 2018 about sustaining creativity and finding creative fuel in your audio work. You spend so much time anxiously trying to find your voice and trying to kind of find your signature sound and to kind of nail it down. And then you get to a point where you get really bored with it and you've heard it so many times. <laughs> uh-huh. and you're just worried that you're endlessly repeating this formula that you found. So how do you, like, how do you subvert that? Yeah, that's difficult, isn't it? It's like it's like when bands have a couple of successful albums and then they try and do their, their avant jazz album and people hate it. But you can appreciate that they're just trying to seem like they can still reinvent. Um, so what is my avant jazz? Want to keep in touch? Sign up for our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au and find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We're at Audiocraft Fest. <laughs>